scripture reading comes to us from the book of Lamentations chapter 3, reading from verse 1 to 24, and it reads thus. I am the one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Against me alone he turns his hand again and again all day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away and broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me sit in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has put heavy chains on me. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with huge stones. He had made my path crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He led me off my way and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a mark for his arrow. He shot into my vitals the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all my people, the object of their taunt songs all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereaved of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. And this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion says my soul therefore i will hope in him here ended a portion of god's holy word we honor it by saying thanks be to god
Last week, Tabuchi Sensei says something that really resonated with me. Lately, our world is full of dark, difficult news. The COVID-19 pandemic continues and even worsens in some areas of the world, taking precious lives, affecting jobs, stability, and security for many people. With more time being spent at home, incidents of domestic violence and child abuse have increased. It is harder for hungry people, such as our homeless neighbors, to find regular access to food. The hungry have gotten hungrier. The lonely have gotten more lonely. The depressed have gotten more depressed. And as many of you might know, depression is a particularly big risk factor for suicide. Suicide has long been a big social problem, especially in Japan. According to statistics from the Ministry of Health, Labor and Welfare, suicide is often ranked among the top five causes of death from people as young as 10 years old to people as old as 64. For people aged 20 to 39, suicide is the number one cause of death. According to the Japan Times, the number of suicides in August this year increased to 15%, a total of 1854 people. This number is close to the total number of lives lost to COVID-19 in Japan so far. This means that every month we lose the same number of people to suicide here in Japan as we have lost to COVID-19 during the entire pandemic. Suicide is a very personal topic for me as well, because at one point in my life, I struggled with suicidal thoughts. Many of you already know this about me, but one of the most painful moments in my life happened when I was 21. My mother passed away on October 24, 2003. It was my first year of Ryugaku when I came to the United States to study in college. It was early in the morning when I received a phone call from my brother. My brother is quite shy, especially on the phone, so it was very unusual for him to call. Right away, I felt that something was weird. He said hello, and we went through the usual greetings but the next words that came from his mouth changed my life forever. He said, listen carefully, our mom died. The person in my family who I was closest to was my mom. She was one of the kindest and most giving people I ever knew. I shared with her all the ups and downs in my life and she was always right there for me. When I was five, I had an emergency appendectomy and was hospitalized for a while. At night, I couldn't sleep because the hospital room was too dark and scary for me. It was my mom who slept on the couch the entire time I was in the hospital and held my hand all night. When I told my parents that I wanted to go to college in America, my mom was my very first supporter. 
She said the women in this world also need to take advantage of opportunities to go and study abroad, to learn broader perspective and different ways of thinking. The thought of not having my mom around like this to love and support me was just unbearable. I could not take this loss and it didn't make any sense. She had just turned 51, has such a great future ahead of her now that her kids have finally left home. The grief I felt was so great and so painful. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, and I couldn't even think straight. I didn't want to talk to anyone because I knew that if I opened my mouth, I would just start crying uncontrollably. I felt that I was becoming someone that I was not ready to be. So I isolated myself. I skipped school and I would just spend most of my time in bed in my dorm room alone with my thoughts. I would look out of my window, stare at the birds in the sky. I wished I could be like the birds, that I could fly away. I thought to myself, they look so free without a care in the world. And I wanted to be just like them. My college became deeply concerned about my mental state and asked me to start seeing the school counselor. After meeting with me a few times, my counselor told me that I had temporary depression coming from the traumatic loss of my mother. Seeing the counselor regularly helped, but when I wasn't with her, my sadness and misery deepened once more. When I was alone, the thoughts of despair grew and multiplied. I was alone in this dark, lonely world and nothing, nothing could help me. I reached a point where I just couldn't take it anymore. Seeing that my mental state was getting worse, my counselor asked me if I was thinking about killing myself. My answer was, maybe, I don't know. The reality of the situation was that I was so exhausted, so spent and so depleted that I didn't even want to make the effort to think about answering that question. My pain had numbed me completely and take away from me the ability to think and ability to feel. When my counselor heard that, realizing that she wasn't able to fully guarantee my safety, she decided to send me to a psychiatric hospital. There, I had the unique experience of not being trusted with my own life. All my belongings were checked and taken away. There was no door on the bathroom, no nail clippers, no hair ties, no silverware, nothing. There were cameras on me from all angles. I was monitored at all times. I imagine that this must have been how prisoners lived. I spent every day laying down in my bed crying. I was so miserable and hopeless. The hospital gave me a notepad to write down whatever was going on in my head. And I remember writing repeatedly, please help. I can't take this anymore. This is too much. Truly, this was a cry from the deepest pit 
on my soul. It was a very real act of lamentation. Today's scripture comes from the book of Lamentations. Much like my outcry, a lament is an expression of grief. And the book of Lamentation is itself a great expression of communal grief and sorrow. The writer of Lamentation spends a full five chapters just talking about grief. The book talks about the grief of God's people after they lost God's city. In 586 BCE, God's holy city, Jerusalem, was conquered by the Babylonian Empire. Through prophets like Amos, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, God had been warning the people that this dark time was coming if, if people didn't repent. But despite multiple warnings from generation to generation, through different prophets, people of Israel did not return to the way of the Lord. Both kings and people continued to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, engaging in idol worship and exploiting, taking advantage of the marginalized. Finally, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar brought his military to bear on Israel and took Jerusalem by force. After conquering the city and destroying a lot of it, the Babylonians took Israel king, priests, government official, all the artists, all the smith, all the warriors, and anyone of the high society, some 10,000 people in total, and took them to Babylon as captives. They also took all the treasures out of the house of the Lord and king's house, all the items in the use in the temple services. They took gold, silver, everything else that has any value in the courthouse and throughout the city. And finally, once everything had been taken, the temple, their spiritual home, and the center of their personal religious identity was destroyed, taken down the ground as a final act in the total and complete destruction of the city. Jerusalem was left with nothing, no one, and not even any of the earthly God, earthly signs of God. All that was left was the poorest of the land, and these poorest of the poor went hungry and destitute. Infants and babies fainted in the streets of the city. The writer of Lamentation stops at one point and asks, Is this the city? that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all of the earth. Lamentations chapter two, verse five, 15. Look and see how this survivor is trying to find somewhere to place blame. He blames God, claiming that God has made flesh waste away and broken his bones. He has put heavy chains on him. God has made him go through all these physical and emotional suffering, and there is no way out. But this attempt to make sense by placing blame doesn't even work because he still finds his soul bereft, lacking of peace. Glory and happiness are all gone, the survivor says. Everything he had hoped for from the Lord is also gone, leaving nothing but darkness.
But then there comes our turning point. The survivor remembered at last the simple truth of our God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're anew every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. In front of the survivor's eyes, everything had collapsed. Everything changed. The survivor's beloved city of God does not even look like how it used to be. No more king, nation, no more place of worship, no more treasures, money, and stuff that, that he used to own. Home, families, friends, and communities were all ripped apart and then burst out. Everything is, is gone except the Lord. The survivor remembers that God's love and mercy and faithfulness had existed long before he even came into the world. In fact, God's love, mercy, and faithfulness were present long before the people of Israel even found their home in Jerusalem. The stories of God's love have been passed down from generation to generation since even before the other time of exile that God's people had gone through. God's people had escaped from slavery in Egypt and found themselves in exile as a consequence of that escape. And during that difficult time of exile, the people of Israel betrayed God's love by worshiping other gods, complaining and doubting the faithfulness and providence of Almighty God. They doubted, wondering if God would be able to provide them enough food and drink to survive, let alone take them to the promised land. But no matter how many times God's people were unfaithful or doubtful, God always answered in mercy, reminding them God is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The survivor in the book of Lamentations remembered that the love of the Lord was always there for God's people. And as he remembers, you can see how his cry goes from the loss of hope in verse 18 to the regaining of hope in verse 21 to the determination to hold on to hope in God in verse 24. Do you see this transition to hope, the loss of hope, to the regaining of hope, and to the decision to remain in hope? This story of hope in Lamentations is my story too. When I was in a psychiatric hospital, I was crying in bed every day. My sadness, my depression continued to worsen and it didn't seem as though I would ever feel better. But then one day, one of the nurses who was working came to my bed and she said something to me that I will never forget. She said, Akiko, you will be okay. You'll be happy again because everything happens for a reason and God will not give you more than you can handle. This was my turning point because what she gave me was the words of hope. Her words was like a light in a tunnel. I thought to myself that if what she said was true and this happened 
for a reason. Maybe there might be a reason for me to live. Maybe this is meant for me to overcome. Because this is not something, according to her, I can't handle. If all of these are true, maybe I will get better someday. Maybe I can help those who go through the same kind of grief. In that moment, her words were to me just like the survivor remembering the love and the mercy of the Lord. And this was enough for me to start living again. From that day, I changed. I acknowledged and accepted that I had experienced the depression. I began attending classes and learned more about depression and depression management. I learned to identify the feelings I was experiencing. I talked about them with my counselor and learned how to face them and process them. Of course, this was not easy. It took years of counseling. I had to come face to face with feelings of anger, guilt, jealousy, misery, extreme sadness, fear, doubt, revenge, my own judgmental thinking, low self-esteem, forgiveness, the list could go on and on. But despite all of this, despite all these emotional challenges, there's one thing that remained constant throughout. God's love was there for me always. God sat with me in all these deep emotional places I went. God never judged the feelings and thoughts I struggled with. God was there for me, embracing all my emotions. Because I knew that God's steadfast love had been there long before I faced my difficult feelings, I found the strength to face them. I knew God would not give me more than I could handle with God by my side. God's love gave me hope. As Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says, Hope never disappointed me because God's love had been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. Today's passage has a lot in common with my story and probably with many people's stories. The journey of grief is a long, winding road with many places where we get stuck and stopped and feel like we can't just go on anymore. But at every step, God waits for us. To express grief is to be in touch with the deep cries of our souls. But in that cry, we're never alone. God's deep, deeper, abiding love is there with us. To be in touch with grief is to be touched with the deeper love of God that awaits us. In the darkness, we encounter Emmanuel, the God who is with us. As the survivor of Jerusalem did in the book of Lamentations, we could spend 20 verses giving voice to our desperate cries of pain. Our God allows us to do that. Our God is such a good listener, especially when it comes to our cries of hurt and pain. But no matter how long or deep we cry, God's love has power. 
those few verses reminding ourselves who God is are more than enough to sustain us and carry us through, taking us to a place of hope. Having hope in God doesn't mean that all our problems go away. After all, the city of Jerusalem was held in captivity for another 50 years or more. For myself, even after years of counseling, I realized and accepted that I still have a tendency towards depression when faced with challenges in life. I still have depressive days where I just want to hide in bed and cave in. But just like God sent an angel to Elijah and told him to eat and drink and rest, when Elijah thought there was nothing hopeful in his life and ministry, I also take time to rest and eat, knowing that tomorrow is another day. God's love never ends. God's love reminds us that God's mercy is new every morning and God is faithful. God's love gives us hope and strength to face the difficult time and difficult days. God says that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God tells us that God's love is always here and that's all we need. All the grief and despair I had, God met me with steadfast love. Those who know me will know that I cry a lot. I do. But I know that with every tear I shed, God is with me. God's steadfast love brings me healings and wholeness. I do not thank God that my mom died, but I am thankful for what I went through after that. Because despair brought me to Jesus. Despair brought me to hope in Christ Jesus. Despair brought me to steadfast love of the Lord. Despair gave me a heart to be sensitive toward people who struggle with grief and mental illness. Despair brought me to a calling to bring the message of the gospel as a comfort to those who suffer. Grief comes to us all, whether that is through the loss of someone dear to us, the loss of home, the loss of income, identity, relationship, other important possession, what, whatever the importance in our lives, we lose some point in our lives. We all face this at some point. As we meditate lamentations and the lamentations we encounter in our own lives, may we seek to be people of hope, a people who are defined by their hope in God's steadfast love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy 
to this promise of God. And as God's people of love and hope, may we have the strength to face all that we go through in life. And as we do, may we also bear together all the joys and burdens of life together as a community. God is with us. Amen.